Blog Talk Radio. We should groan for heaven like freedom is groaned for by a prisoner, like food is longed for by one who is hungry, water for one who is thirsty. We should long for heaven like the farmer does for harvest, like the worker does for payday, like the runner does for winning. And if we don't, something is wrong. According to an ABC News poll from a few years ago, 90% of Americans believe in heaven. That's no surprise. As Scripture says, God has put eternity in the human heart. But even though most people believe in heaven, there's still mystery, even apprehension surrounding the next life. 
Thankfully, there's much you can know about the future home of every Christian, as John MacArthur is going to show you today on Grace to You Weekend. So, who gets into heaven? What do its citizens do for eternity? To find out, stay here for one of John's most popular studies. It's titled Heaven. Each month in 2019, we're airing one of John's best-known series as part of our year-long 50th anniversary celebration here on Grace to You Weekend. Now with a lesson, here's John. When God made man, he made him soul and body. He made him an inner man and an outer man. And when he perfects him, he's going to perfect him as an inner man and an outer man also. We are designed by God to be a body and a soul. And our ultimate perfection demands that we be a body and a soul. And the creation of a new heaven and an actual new earth also demands that we have bodies that can walk on a real earth. The new earth then calls for its inhabitants to have real bodies. Now, death, mark it, death means the separation. The bodies go to the grave, the spirit goes to be with the Lord. Well, how long does that last? Well, only until the resurrection. Jesus said in John chapter 5 that everybody's going to rise from the dead. Everybody. In John 5, do not marvel, verse 28 at this, the hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come forth, those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Know this, will you? In the present time, the people in the church who have died are in heaven in spirit. In the present time, the unbelievers who have died are in hell in spirit. But there is coming a great resurrection. And at the time of the resurrection, the bodies of the redeemed will be joined to their spirits and they will be in the eternal perfection of body and soul. At the time of the great resurrection, the bodies of the ungodly will be raised from the graves as well and they will be joined to their disembodied spirits so that they, body and soul, will endure the torments of hell forever. God created men and women to be body and soul or body and spirit, same thing. So that's what God is moving toward. Even after our souls are perfected, that's not the end. That's not the end. There will be a resurrection of body and to join that spirit. That's God's plan. You can read about the resurrection of the ungodly in Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 11. The sea gives up the dead. Death and the grave give up the dead. And they're all judged according to their deeds. And then, of course... They're thrown into the lake of fire. There will be a resurrection unto damnation, a resurrection unto judgment. But what about our resurrection? What about the redemption of our bodies? We're waiting for um, what 2 Corinthians 5.2 calls our house, which is from heaven, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, a very familiar text. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. And that has reference to the bodies of saints. Their spirits are gone to be with the Lord. Their bodies are in the grave. Don't grieve. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. When, when Jesus comes back, he's going to bring with him the spirits of the saints that are dead. When the rapture comes and Jesus comes out of heaven, the spirits of the saints are coming with him. For this we say to you, verse 15, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, we're still here in body and spirit, not yet glorified. 
those of us who remain till the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. In other words, they're going to get their bodies before we go up. So when Jesus comes to rapture the church, the first group that are going to be taken care of are those who have been disembodied. They will get their new bodies, and then we will go up after them. It says it in verse 16, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. That's another feature of heaven. You're always with the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever. But the dead are going to go first because they've been waiting a long time for their bodies. Their bodies are going to come out of the graves, join with their disembodied spirits, be instantly perfected for all that heaven has for them. Then we're going to follow them up and get translated on the way. We'll be perfected when we leave this world in the rapture if we're here when Jesus comes. Now that's the promise of God that we have to look forward to. A new glorified body to go with a glorified spirit. This earthly tent, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 1, will be torn down and we'll get a building from God. Now that poses the question I want to focus on as we bring this to a conclusion. What will these bodies be like? Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35. Someone will say, and I can hear it, you've already thought it, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? You fool, he says. That's being kind. You shouldn't even argue like that. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. The Greek is senseless one. A severe rebuke, by the way, which assumes that the objector prided himself on his intelligence. You don't even know what you're talking about. Let me give you an analogy of a seed. He says... That which you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. Paul is saying your body is going to die, it's going to go into the grave, and it's going to come out of there, and it's just like a seed that dies in an analogy sense and produces some plant that you could never have seen in the seed. Never. Jesus even said that in, in looking at his own resurrection, John 12, 24, unless a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth fruit. And he was saying, I'm going to die and do the same thing. I'm going to produce fruit. I'm going to come forth in a glorious resurrection body that's going to produce fruit. The bodies will have some connection to the one that was buried, but they'll be different. I don't know fully how. They'll be the same organism in some way. I'll be me and you'll be you, only we'll all be perfect. We'll be the same and yet we'll be different. Incredible. From the decomposition of the body in the grave, we don't have an obstacle to the resurrection. Just like a seed that dies and brings forth life, so the, the resurrection will come from the death of the body. Look at verse 39. And then he takes another illustration. From the seed, he just turns a corner and starts talking about the body. All flesh is not the same flesh. There's one flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another flesh of birds, another of fish. Now, how do you explain that? I mean, all over this earth, there are all different kinds of flesh, all different kinds. 
God was not restricted to one kind of flesh in creation, so why should he be restricted to one kind of flesh in resurrection? We, we may not even understand what kind of new humanity that is. Any more than if all we knew were birds and their kind of flesh, we could understand a horse. Then he says in verse 40, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. The glory of the heavenly is one. The glory of the earthly is another. That is, there are a terrestrial and celestial. There are earthly organisms and there are bodies that occupy space, sun, moon, stars. It's incredible. God has made everything from the tiny little crawling bug to a spinning sun and everything in between. From the human perspective, we look at these, and why in the world would we say, well, I don't understand how we could ever make a resurrection body. Well, look, he can make any kind of body he wants. There is one glory of the sun, verse 41, another glory of the moon. There's another glory of the stars, and stars differ from other stars in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It's just like that. There are all kinds of bodies God has made, animal bodies, plant bodies, celestial bodies suns and stars and moons and comets and on and on and on. All the heavenly bodies vary, all the seeds. Do you realize there are no two trees on the face of the earth alike? No two seeds alike? No two animals alike? No two people exactly alike? No two celestial bodies alike? And somebody says, well, how in the world could God ever create a resurrection body? Big deal. He's got enough creative power on display that we shouldn't question that. Verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The illustrations of nature, the illustrations of astronomy, illustrate to us that God can make any kind of body He wants. As one body differs from another, so the resurrection body can differ from the body we know now. There is the possibility that God is going to create a unique body, a body like we don't understand. Somehow it'll connect up with us. It'll have our human personality in it, but it'll be preserved forever with all its distinctions, with all its uniqueness in absolute and eternal perfection. So the graveyards of men become the seed plots of resurrection, and the cemeteries of the people of God become through the heavenly dew, the resurrection fields of the promised perfection. Then in verse 42, it is sown a perishable body, it is raised an imperishable body. And here come the contrasts. It is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. That's the difference. Then he says, it is sown in dishonor because of sin, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Now, what does he mean by that? A spiritual body doesn't mean it's a spirit. It is a body. But it is a body that can contain and express itself in spiritual ways. To put it simply, it is a body which expresses the spirit, the needs of a perfect spirit. Now, look at that. What's your body going to be like? It's going to be imperishable. That is, it never decays. You will never lose any part of that body. It will be permanently and eternally perfect, never changing, never. You will never look at your hand and say, what is that? I've never seen that before. You will never feel somewhere, and where is that lump coming from? There will be no cancer x-rays in heaven. No one will develop anything there. Absolute imperishable perfection. Not only that, it'll be glorious, glorious. It'll be a reflector of the glory of God. It'll be raised in power. It will have power beyond anything you can imagine, power to accomplish anything and everything that it desires. 
It will be a spiritual body in the sense that it gives expression to a renewed spirit, a perfect spirit. It's incredible to think about it. It's adapted for the existence of the redeemed in an order of heaven that we know nothing about at this point. It's just unbelievable. And then in verse 45, he takes us one step further and says, So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. And the last Adam, that's Christ, became a life-giving spirit. He contrasts the heads of two families. He appeals to Scripture here for his argument. And he says the last Adam is a life-giving spirit. Jesus Christ is the last Adam. And he will give life where Adam gave death. Adam, the natural man, sinned and brought death on the human race. The last Adam brings life. The spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth. That's Adam, earthy. The second man is from heaven. And as is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Stop at that point, folks. You just got a tremendous insight. As we are on this earth like Adam, we will be in heaven like whom? Like Christ. And verse 49 says it. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of what? The heavenly. It's incredible. We're going to be like Jesus Christ. We're going to be exactly like Jesus Christ. Well, what was he like? Well, he was incorruptible and eternal. He is glorified and we shall be. He is spiritual, that is, He gives expression to a perfected spirit through His glorified humanity, and so shall we. We shall possess, according to Philippians 3.21, a great statement, the body of His glory. I just can't imagine that. But see, we have been saved to be conformed to the image of God's Son. We are predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, Romans 8 says. We're going to be like Him, 1 John 3.2, because we shall what? See him as he is. We're going to be like him. What was he like? It's incredible to think about it. He flew to heaven, stood on the mountain, Acts chapter 1, and a cloud took him right to heaven. He could fly. He moved about. He appeared suddenly after his resurrection in that glorified humanity. He walked through walls with the disciples. It tells us that he sat down. Luke 24 says an eight. On one occasion, he broke bread. Another occasion, he ate fish. He asked for something to eat. They gave it, and he ate it. And Revelation 22 says that there will be fruit-bearing trees in heaven for the wholeness and the health of all the peoples like Christ ate after his resurrection. We'll eat. And he didn't need to eat. He ate for the sheer joy and pleasure of it. So we'll spend eternity eating of the fruit of the heavenly trees, not because we need it, but because we enjoy it. Well, there's so much more to say. But when you think about Jesus, after the resurrection, that's the best picture of what we'll be like. A body fit for the full life of God to indwell and express itself forever. A body that can eat but doesn't need to. A body that can fly through space and go through walls. A body with no time limitation, no age. A body exalted to all that God has in mind in the creation potential. A body that is ultimately satisfied, knows no pain, no tears, no sorrow, no sickness, no death. A body of splendor. A body that shines like the moon and the stars, according to Daniel 12, the promise to the Old Testament saints in their resurrection. A body that's as bright as the brightness of the noonday sun. A body that shines like the sun in its strength. What an incredible thing to think about. What an incredible thing. 
What does all this say to you? Let me tell you what it says to me. It says that our longing for heaven should be intense. It should be intense. Let me put it really practically for you. If you find your joy and your comfort in this life, if you find your delights in this life so that heaven does not appeal to you, that is irrational. That is irrational. Let me tell you why. First of all, you're idolizing a passing, sin-filled, decaying world. Secondly, you're contradicting the goal of God. The goal of God is to make you like Christ, and that's where you're going to have to go to get made that way. So if you are longing to hold on to this world and you're hankering to stay here and you don't want to go and this is where you seek your comfort and this is where you stack your treasure, you are irrational as well as sinful. And so am I if I think like that because we're idolizing a decaying, godless, Christ-rejecting passing world. We are contradicting the goal of God. Furthermore, we are seeking what we will never find, and then, therefore, we are aggravating our misery because we will never be satisfied. How much better to long for heaven? We should groan for heaven like freedom is groaned for by a prisoner, like health is groaned for by a sick man, like food is longed for by one who is hungry, water for one who is thirsty. We should long for heaven like the farmer does for harvest, like the worker does for payday, like the runner does for winning. And if we don't, something is wrong. If we're not saying with John, even so, come Lord Jesus, something's wrong when we think about what God has for us. If you're not a Christian, don't pity Christians. We have enjoyed the best of life and the joy of the Lord, and we're going to spend eternity with the glories of His promise while those who stand back and pity the party that Christians are missing are going to spend eternity without God in the torment of hell. All that is glorious, all that is noble, all that is blessed, and all that is thrilling awaits us in heaven. I hope you're going to be there, and I hope if you're headed for heaven, you have a longing in your heart for that reunion with Christ. That's Grace to You Weekend with John MacArthur. Thanks for tuning in today. John is Chancellor of the Master's University and Seminary, and his current study is showing you what the Bible says about heaven. John, you made the point today that uh, we long for heaven when we understand what it's going to be like and what you do in heaven. Scripture tells us to set our minds on heavenly things. I find that's easier to do the older I get, the more I learn about heaven. Getting excited about what awaits in heaven requires us to know, first of all, what the Bible says on the subject. Yeah, Paul says to the Colossians, set your affections on things above and not on things on the earth. We need to live with a heavenly perspective. We're aliens and strangers here. We're citizens of heaven. We need to know what heaven holds for us. Look, the Lord is giving us a gift. You know, we go through life and we have all these issues, all these struggles, all these problems, battling sin and temptation and disappointment, and lack of fulfillment, and all kinds of things that come into our lives that make this life so troubling. And, you know, as Job says, man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. So we live in a troubled life. The Lord has given us a gift that literally pulls us up out of this life, and that is the truth about heaven. God has laid it out for us so that you as a believer can live now 
in the joy of heaven by knowing all that heaven holds for you, all that is waiting for you, that reward that is incorruptible, undefiled, laid aside and kept for you. You need to know everything that heaven holds for you. So I want to remind you about a book I've written called The Glory of Heaven. The Glory of Heaven. I've given this book to many, many people personally who were on their deathbed going through terminal cancer who are so eager to read about the heaven that awaits them. But we don't need to wait until we get to the very end. We can enjoy the realities and the hope of heaven even now. It's normal, it's healthy to have questions and curiosity about heaven, but there's a lot of ridiculous things being said about heaven that are not what Scripture says. So this book, The Glory of Heaven, explains everything the Bible says about heaven. And if you're a believer, it's where you're going. If you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's where you need to go rather than eternal hell. The book is available. It even talks about the angelic inhabitants of heaven, what we're going to be like when we're there, what we're going to do when we're there. It's not just to satisfy your curiosity. It's to show you the full richness of divine revelation on the promised hope that the Lord has given you in Christ. Exciting reading for anyone, maybe if you've lost a few friends or family members, heaven has become more precious to you. This will help you to be much more aware of what even those people you love are experiencing now and what you will experience in the future. That's right. And the Bible has far more to say about heaven than most people realize. To learn all about your future home, pick up John's book, The Glory of Heaven, when you contact us today. You can order online at gty.org or call us toll-free, 800-55-GRACE. The Glory of Heaven is a hardcover book reasonably priced. To order a copy for yourself or to put one in a friend's hands, go to gty.org or call 800-55-GRACE. And as you tune in each day, remember, listener gifts make these broadcasts possible. Your support allows us to take the clear teaching of God's Word to people who may not have access to it anywhere else. To partner with us in this ministry, write to Grace to You, Box 4000, Panorama City, California, 91412. Or call 800-55-GRACE or go to our website, gty.org. And now for John MacArthur and the entire Grace to You staff, I'm Phil Johnson. Remember, you can watch Grace to You television Sundays on DirecTV Channel 378 or check your local listings for stations and times. And then make sure you're here next week. John's going to look at how believers will fellowship with God when they're with Him forever. That encouraging lesson is the next installment of John's series titled Heaven. Join us as we continue celebrating 50 years of unleashing God's truth one verse at a time on Grace To You Weekend. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in 
When does life begin? This is Ken Ham on a mission to call the church back to God's Word and the Gospel. In the United States, about 60 million babies have been murdered by abortion. 60 million! For some people, that's heartbreaking. Others shrug and say, abortion's a woman's right, it's just health care. Or, it's my body, so my choice. But what matters is what God thinks, not society. God's Word says we're made in His image fearfully and wonderfully knit together and known by God before we're even conceived. From a biblical and biological perspective, life begins at the moment of fertilization. So taking that life is murder. But praise God, there's forgiveness for sin, even the sin of abortion. Discover more about the value of life when you visit our website at AnswersRadio.com and subscribe to receive free daily email insights from Ken Ham when you go to AnswersRadio.com. Worldwide has reached one billion for the first time since 
experimentation on children? This is Ken Ham, CEO of the ministry that built a full-size Noah's Ark south of Cincinnati. When scientists search for cures for diseases, do their ends justify the means? How do you feel about children being experimented on and then thrown away to die when the experiment is over? Now, you'd be horrified, yet that's exactly what's happening. A new area of research is called gene editing. Now, gene editing isn't bad in and of itself. It has potential to help a lot of people. But some scientists do gene editing on human embryos, tiny human babies. And when they're done with the experiment, they discard these children to die. The ends do not justify the means. We need research that honors all human life, even the unborn. Explore answers to questions about morality, culture, science, and the Bible at AnswersRadio.com and subscribe to receive daily insights from Ken Ham at AnswersRadio.com.
What's wrong with stem cell research? This is Kent Ham, editor of the new book against evolution called Glasshouse. Stem cells are cells that haven't specialized yet. Now they have the potential to form nearly any cell in the human body. Well, this is very helpful to researchers. And there are two kinds of stem cells, adult and embryonic. Now adult stem cells are found in a variety of our tissues and organs, but embryonic stem cells are found in human embryos, babies. These embryos are disrupted, it's said, meaning the child is killed to harvest these stem cells for research. Research that costs a child his or her life, it's vile. And we should oppose embryonic stem cell research and fight for a right to life for all humans, including the unborn. Plan your visit to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum in Northern Kentucky when you go to AnswersRadio.com and subscribe for free daily insights at AnswersRadio.com. Abortion. When is it wrong? This is Ken Ham, 
an Aussie transplant with a passion for sharing the truth of God's word. Earlier this year, extreme abortion bills grabbed headlines across the US. These bills legalized abortion up until birth or even allowed for infanticide. Now these shocking headlines made many people feel sick as they should. But when is abortion wrong? Only when the baby looks like a newborn? You see, many of the people appalled by the idea of late-term abortion wouldn't oppose it earlier in the pregnancy. But what's the difference? All the information needed to make that child is present from fertilization. Nothing is added. A fertilized egg is 100% human and made in God's image. Subscribe to receive free daily email insights from Ken Ham at AnswersRadio.com and listen to this program again or others just like it when you go to AnswersRadio.com.
created in God's image. This is Ken Ham, a publisher of the award-winning family magazine called Answers. All this week, we've been looking at when does life begin? Now, based on science, we know that everything needed to make a human is present from the moment of fertilization. The moment an egg and sperm meet, a unique individual has been formed with a combination of information never before seen. So why do so many people still support abortion and other life-ending practices? Well, it comes down to our worldview. If we're just animals, what's wrong with killing the unborn? We kill spare cats, why not spare kids? But from a biblical worldview, we're not just animals. We are made in God's image with unique dignity and all have a right to life. Get answers to questions about our culture and what scripture teaches when you visit our website at AnswersRadio.com and view a transcript of this program at AnswersRadio.com.
That was Go Fish with the Bible Pop, and I didn't see it. I'm going to go to YouTube with that place sent us on Wretched. Wretched is a ministry has taught freedom, and other people help them out. They have a radio show and, a, and also a TV show. And they also have a channel on YouTube, which I'm going to now. Let's see. Oh, yeah. Um, this one's uh, Big Questions, Small Answers. It's called Is Cremation Okay? get cremated a bit of a wrinkle there's no bible verse that says you must get buried you cannot get cremated so what are we to do if the bible is sufficient for all of life and godliness we take a look at all of the verses that talk about our subject and then we do our best to come to a conclusion recognizing we may have to hold on to that conviction rather loosely let's take a look at four verses and try to find our answer. Number one, at Genesis 1, God created man in his own image. In other words, humans are special. Uh, number two, Genesis 3, by the sweat of your face, you'll eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Not a direct command, but get warm. 1 Corinthians 15, so also is the resurrection of the dead. Hmm, something's going to happen to our body. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. There's a future plan for our bodies. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised with an imperishable body, and we will be changed. How do we put these four verses together? We are image bearers of God. The human body is not without significance. Furthermore, everybody in the Bible that we hear about was very furthermore. Something's going to happen to this body. God is going to translate it into an eternal body that lasts for Forever. That is why historically Christians have not burned up their bodies because it doesn't offer any sort of hint that there's an afterlife to come with an eternal body, whereas burial says we're delicately, lovingly putting this body into the ground because Jesus is going to raise it up one of these days. That's what John MacArthur said. The imagery of Christ's resurrection pictures burial and then a raising up from the dead. Because of that, many Christians prefer burial to cremation to maintain a likeness to Christ's burial. Can we make it a law that a Christian must get buried? No, we can't make it a law, but... The biblical pattern, understanding the theology of the resurrection, all points toward if we get cremated, we're basically saying to the world, we don't have a whole lot of hope for a future bodily resurrection. But we do say that when the Imago Dei image, the body, is buried just like the body of Jesus, can a Christian get 
cremated, big question, short answer. Cremation, not prohibited in the Bible, but it does not demonstrate the hope of the resurrection that burial does. You know how that social media is, you've got to be plugged in and connected. So would you please like, subscribe, or share this video? Once again, that's from Richard. And Richard is spelled W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D. And you find him at Richard.org and also on our YouTube page. And I'm going to do one more from Richard right now. This is called, Why Do People Cut Themselves? A mystery unpacked. This is Wretched Radio. When you hear about somebody who cuts their own body, most likely it is a mystery to you, entirely perplexing. Why would somebody who loves themselves, and we all do, don't we, want to hurt themselves. Uh, to help us unpack the mystery from rickthomas.net is Rick Thomas himself. Please visit his website. You do have articles there on cutting. rickthomas.net, you've got articles on suicide, depression, anxiety, anger, bipolar, sexual issues, pretty much the whole deal. In my estimation, rickthomas.net, you will see, I think, the most practical application of theology to life. That is your sweet spot. I don't know if anybody's ever told you that, but I just did. Well, okay. Yeah, you say you're welcome. We're up to you're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay. RickThomas.net. You will benefit much from reading on whatever subject is of interest to you. Can't encourage it enough. Let's talk about cutting. People using a sharp object, a razor blade, I presume, to their arms, their legs, maybe to hide it, maybe to show it. What is going on in that heart? They're hurting. Uh, so, sometimes uh, we talked about the mimicking behavior. That they're just mimicking something that's just a fattish, fattish solution to what everybody's looking for, how to feel better about themselves. Sometimes it's just uh, a person that's wanting to feel something. Yeah, exactly. I, I, they're just numb. That just, that just makes my head kind of go, what? I don't understand. Feeling pain is better than feeling nothing? Uh, yes, and they're feeling something because they they are they're just they're just they're, they're just a flat emotional state. Yeah, uh, the Bible talks about uh, today in, in Hebrews three seven, Hebrews four seven. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Uh, we can become so dull or so hardened by life, by choices that we make. There's a lot of reasons for it uh, that you just want to feel something, and sometimes cutting is an illogical solution. But it, but at least it's feeling something. Now, when somebody is hurting that much or that, that flat with their emotions, does, it, does the razor, it hurts, but it hurts. It's pain, correct? It, yeah, it does hurt, and they can start small, and then they can continue to do it. All right, but they're, they're, it's not like somehow the wiring is such that it's like, ooh, I love, that's just delightful. It actually hurts. But that option is better than nothing at all. Yeah, and part of it is that. Part of it also can be self-atonement, uh, that they don't have any way of paying for their sins. And so this is a penance for some people that I don't know how to 
get out of, you know, the guilt that I feel, whether that guilt is legitimate or it's imposed upon them by someone else, that they they don't know how to escape from it. And so sometimes you're talking about penance or some form of self-atonement. Now, that could be a as always, these could be mingled together. Right. There's more than one reason, but that could be a reason. Another reason that somebody gets to the point where they just aren't feeling anything, how does somebody get there? The way that it's progression of sin. Uh, it's, it's the, uh, you, you could look at um, cutting like any other sin. When a person starts, he's dissatisfied with his relationship with his wife. And then he begins to look over the fence at another person. And then he begins to justify what he did. This is the dulling effect of the conscience. And then after a while, now he's in pornography or now he's in adultery. And so it's the progression of sin. You don't wake up in the morning and nobody does that, that I'm going to cut myself this morning. But through a progression of hopelessness and horrific things that happen and they try solutions and they don't find them and then they get to the, oh, well, I just want to try this. And so it's always a progression, a an unbiblical, godless progression that gets worse and worse. And we talked earlier to where ultimately, okay, it can, it's the progression to suicide. It could go that far. All right. So this is just a step along the path. Right. Now, do we have any historical record of cutting, or is this a recent phenomenon because of social media? No, it's been going on for a long time. I haven't studied cutting, and I couldn't give you historical facts, but it's not new. This is what I was saying earlier. It's been popularized. Right. Uh, popularized because social media, we're much closer now, and, of course, we have more data now than we've ever had before. And so it seems like it's pandemic, and I would say that it's, it's more than it used to be, but this is not a new thing. Okay, so the, the, so. Social media has helped it, but it didn't create it. No. Mm-hmm. You know, I, can't, I can't help but think, though, on social media, and it's not just the YouTube machine, talking to friends, Instagramming, and, you know, I tried this, it felt good, it helped, it temporarily, it does appear to help, and it just gets popularized, and more and more people are doing it. All right, does it help? Social media? No, cutting. Cutting does not. <laughs> Well, no, you know, if the people it, do it repeatedly, it must do something for them, at least temporarily. Well, yeah, like drugs or alcohol or cutting, whatever cistern that we carve out as a solution that's not God's answer. Yeah, you can, what we're talking about, we're talking about relief versus change, and non-biblical means can give you relief, but it will never satisfy the discontentment of the heart, as Augustine said. And so, yes, when you say help, uh, in the moment, it gives some relief, momentary relief, but there's a difference between relief and repentance, which is a total life change. Now, just so that nobody understands Rick Thomas of RickThomas.net, when somebody walks into your biblical counseling office and they're doing this, perhaps you can see the scars or it's July and they've got long sleeves on and you sense something is up. From the time that they walk in and they are currently actively cutting themselves to a time when their thinking is progressively changed by God, and they start to understand what true hope is. They find their satisfaction in the only one who satisfies. I, I, I know you don't have a chart for this, but does that take two or three days to fix the problem? No. 
Uh, what are we talking about here? Well, uh, there's there's three ways that you um, stop sinning. Okay, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Uh, the, the thing, well, first thing is I want to establish how long. Well, this is not a, sh a quick fix. Yeah, well, one, amputation. And uh, Matthew, if I you're not going to give it, you're just going to bar it. You're just going to go ahead and do it anyway, aren't you? <laughs> and Matthew 5:30. And so I would want to talk to them about cutting that off. No pun intended at all. I don't <laughs> at all here, but to, we got to stop this. But that's the behavioral modification thing in Matthew 5:30. And so now there's a mortification issue, and that's Romans 8:13 to make dead the things the body. And that's going to take a long time. And so we're talking months to walk. So you want to stop the crisis, amputation. Now, if they are willing to do that or they're not going to continue to cut themselves and be accountable to that, then you can move on to the process of dealing with the heart issues that are actually causing the cutting. And so stop it and then let's start working on the problem. That would be ideal. But six months would be... You don't want to set artificial timelines because each person is different, but a solid six months of care, but then you also want them to be in a context where they can receive ongoing care for the rest of their lives, which would be the local church, receiving that care in the local church. Yeah, but the, the point being, and again, an artificial timeline isn't helpful at all. Just wanting to establish this biblical counseling doesn't mean, oh, you come in, yeah. you give them the correct Bible verse, and then everything is fine. It is far more complex than that because we're dealing with histories, we're dealing with hurts and wounds, and we're dealing with the effect of the fall, we're dealing with sin, we're dealing with regeneration. So it's a, it's a, it's a long ride that we go on with somebody. Yeah, until we meet Jesus. Yep. Right, but even, but even then, the sanctification process right. is ongoing and it takes some time. All right. So the issue of cutting is a step in the progression on the road to suicide. So if I know somebody who's cutting, what do I do? Because it seems like that could be pretty dire at that moment. Well, depending on the relationship that I have with the person, uh, you want, and, and the age of the person, parents, and you know, what, there's a lot of dynamics that's implied. So I want to get to know the person that I'm talking to, and then you begin to sculpt out a plan accordingly. Right, and, but I, I want to make sure that they don't do anything to harass right. themselves. Right, in a lasting sort of manner. Visit Rick Thomas of rickthomas.net. Much of this, it is unpacked even more. You've also got counselors at rickthomas.net that can help people one-on-one -on -one because it does, I, many times it requires, reading articles is nice, a human relationship is better, but even beyond that better, in your estimation, would be discipling in the context of a local church. Yeah, and, some, and that is the progression for a lot of folks that come to us. They don't want to talk to someone face-to-face, -face, and so what they do is they read our resources privately, and then as they receive, as God works in their lives, then, then they come to us, and then we have a conversation. We could call that biblical counseling, and then from that point, we want to get them inside a local church where they can receive ongoing care and so there is a progression there but you could come to our website and more or less feed yourself and find some help and then you could start talking to us and that would be the next step and I would recommend that rickthomas.net and there shouldn't be any shame we've, we've all got issues some of us more than others nevertheless Rick Thomas of rickthomas.net this is Wretched Radio Please like, subscribe, or share this video so other people can enjoy this professional Christian content.
that is once again from wretches and called why do people cut themselves and here's some most control here on truth be told radio and i'll play a song for you this is shylin with supreme Let me start this off with a hallelujah to Jesus, the sovereign ruler. This is not a rumor. Got the truth, so we about to screw you. Check out a style maneuver. Shout it to you like the loudest roof. Christ put us up from out the sewer. We don't have to doubt the future. Crafting our verses as we bask in his worship. You asking the purpose? Partly to snatch hats from the furnace. Through Jesus' extravagant service, immaculate purchase. He was smashing the serpent, and we only scratching the surface. He's the seed that was conceived in the womb of a virgin. The sun emerges in the manger while the angels serenade him. It's the birth of the Savior, the great I am. Came a man, came as a lamb, and would be executed to execute the plan to substitute the sand. In the place of the wicked on the cross, he was lifted, but we considered him stricken and afflicted, just like the prophets predicted. He came at the proper moment to stop his opponent and lay down his life to offer atonement. He's the most magnificent, the total antithesis of insufficient, the blessed, the glorious, splendid, transcendent, difficult to comprehend, independent of space and time, but presently present, suspending the heavens with speech. From coast to coast, he speaks peace to wind and seas, got heavenly hosts easily. Posted on bended knees, controls the cosmos with the most authority. So we both in the most exalted King Christ supreme. He's the sovereign thriller, the awesome healer, the law fulfiller, the solemn killer, the fraud revealer. No God is realer, yeah. When you're taking your time in the scripture, with the gate is a prominent picture. See his light shining bright in the night, and his fright in the might, and a diamond in the mixture. See his name at all the renown, though. When he came for the lost, that he found low. He was tamed and floss all around, but remained for the manger, the cross, or the clown. Yo, Satan had a trick hold on him. Fight for the rope, but doping in. All to the eyes of the S to the E to the N. That's what we hoping in. Risen on his spell check, the risen king can rinse clean the most rebellious. I was hell bound, now I'm spellbound. Word is born, I'm a born servant to the word of life. Uh, call me a sellout, I was bought with a price. We gotta hope it won't fail us when we return to the dust. We will rise up just like the one who justified us. It's not wishful thinking when the truth's sinking. We are clinging to the promises of God bringing an everlasting kingdom. Nothing can compare to the worth of what we inherited. Nothing in heaven on earth can measure what Christ merited. The skies declare the affairs of his glorious care. The God who is there, who's aware, who delights in our prayer. His purposes are permanent and perfectly proportionate. Everything that orbits around his glory subordinate. He is the most excellent one. Intrinsic, infinite son. Preeminent the name par excellence. Prenom phenomenon. He's beyond phenomenon. You see the fiber of cosmology. The abba of astronomy. He's potter. We are pottery. It's shocking. Jesus died for me. The father, he adopted me and constantly provides for me. Whether or not I got degrees, you gotta see his odyssey. From sovereignty and lottery to poverty and robbery to resurrected bodily apocalyptic prophecy he's stopping all the mockery and scholarly snobbery that don't acknowledge him properly you ought to be on bended knee before the preeminent it's awfully arrogant to reject him to your detriment study the development from old to new testament you'll find a theme that's prevalent from age to age it's relevant crisis on its center stage forget religious sentiments the center on man but something less is what you're settling he is the most excellent exercising benevolence and blessing a remnant with the benefits of his inheritance yeah, the sinner sinners that Separated and segregated that severed the relations between man and his maker and placed Christ on his costly cross and compensated his life, death, and resurrection emancipated and gave us freedom from it all, freedom from the effects of the fall, freedom from Adam and Eve and the garden of Eden and from the law. So the saints stand and applaud his grace and glorious cause with hands raised, praising his name, singing glory to God. <laughs> Christ is the 
featuring beautiful Yuji. You can find out more about Shiren at lampmode.com, L-A-M-P-M-O-D dot C-O. That's the record label. And what we're going to do next is more from Wretched based questions, short answers, and this one is called Can a Christian Have Non-Christian Friends? Big question, especially young. Can a Christian have non-Christian friends? Let's see what the Bible says. Second Corinthians 6, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Christians live in the world, but we shouldn't be bound to the world. In other words, a Christian can have pagan friends, but we shouldn't be yoked with them, bound with them, in an intimate relationship. And I think the text allows for marriage, business partnerships, and even best friends. Have friends, but if they're your best friend, you are yoking with somebody who is in the other camp. More Bible verses. 1 Corinthians 15, don't be deceived. Your best friend will corrupt your good morals. John 17, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. In other words, it would be kind of odd that a pagan would want to be best friends with you. Why? Because the world hates us. Now, the only reason your best friend wouldn't hate you is because you are not acting like Christ. Let's see what a dead guy said. Thomas Brooks, let those be thy choicest companions who have made Christ their chief companion. Your friendships should not be based on commonalities like sports, entertainment, you like particular TV shows, you dine at certain restaurants. Uh, 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 uh. The centerpiece of every Christian friendship should be Christ himself. Young person, take heed. Listen to the writer of Proverbs. The first piece of advice to his son was, watch out, be careful. Your friendship choice is crucial, which means there are big implications to this question. Tell me who your friends are, and I will tell you where you're going to be in 15 years. Number two, while a Christian most certainly can have pagan friends, even that decision should be carefully considered. Number three, recognizing the pitfalls of unbelieving friends should re-energize parents to enforce that truth on our children. So let me do that for you, mom and dad. Young person, choose your friends wisely. You will fall into a ditch and your sorrows will be many if your friends are not like you, a Christian. A big question, can a Christian have non-Christian friends? Short answer, a Christian can have Christian friendships, but his closest friend should share his greatest heart's desire. So, imagine my surprise that you're still here. Hey, if you'd like more Wretched, because 
apparently you've got enough free time. Would you like this video? Subscribe to this channel, and we will give you wretched till it's coming out of your nose. Yeah, man, it's crazy how time flies. My mind tries to sit still, thinking how does one define wise? Feels like yesterday I was a newcomer, fresh in the game, ready to make the truth thunder. But as the beat plays, they lose wonder. After a few summers, the band's ready for a new drummer. Doesn't matter if you're not ready yet. Yesterday I was a cadet, now they call me a vet. But it's part of common sense that the artist's time will end. To the young, this topic can be hard to comprehend. They don't come close to understanding How you can go from most demanded To abandoned in the ocean stranded Surrounded by the waves of your weariness Some things you only learn from age and experience And it's plain to me that all the famous men you see The time is coming when they will be a faded memory Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped Yeah, what in the world was your mind thinking? You couldn't see the sand of time sinking Cause one day you hot, the next day you not One day you on top, next day you get dropped, yeah Better plan for the future, kid Time catches up to everyone, no matter who yeah. it is Whatever happened to so-and-so, that's what they wanna know Eventually we learn that they all come and go Today's rising star, tomorrow dies with scars Today they all struck, tomorrow you washed up I remember watching Jordan's Hall of Fame speech Thinking this is what it's like to watch the lame reach and gasp As he tries to grasp what lies in the past Never to return, what lies in the past Did he tell himself, was he lost or sober? Did he know it was all but over? The moment that AI crossed him over If I could be like, didn't include dying light Let's shine the light on the one they call Iron Mike Nowadays he's known for being all weird But back in 88, nobody was more feared at the peak of his powers, his opponents would retreat in moments he would eat and devour. Snuff with punches, but we must discuss this. Crushed it just enough to trust his toughness. Pride brings us to justice. You puffed up with smugness? You gonna meet Buster Douglas. Amazing that, which blazed like Petro. The new praise that made the waves in the metro. Was praised for days, but just a phase like retro. And phase like echoes. Echoes, echoes, echoes. Ecclesiastes 
11 No matter who you are, death aims to stop ya Whether banker, doctor, or Frank Sinatra Before your time is done, meet the timeless one The dying, death-defying, rising, shining sun King Jesus, astounds and amazes He pounded the pavement to save those who were bound to their cages So let us praise the one who made the Everglades Our debt was paid, so in glory we'll never fade Never fade, never fade Shirt answer from Richard, and this one's, this one's called Should a Christian Do Yoga? These days, should a Christian do yoga? It depends on what your definition of yoga is. is. So let us see what yoga is in its purest form according to a yoga practitioner. Sri Sri Ravi Shankar said yoga is not just an exercise and asanas. It is the emotional integration and spiritual elevation with a touch of mystic element which gives you a glimpse of something beyond all imagination. So what is sheer Yoga, it is the salvific practice of the Hindu religion. It is the way for the adherent to empty one's brain through breathing, meditation, chanting a phrase or a single word in order to connect oneself to the divine, whatever they think it is that happens to be divine. In other words, yoga is the way for the Hindu, to use Christian terminology, to be saved. So ask yourself the question, what business does a saved Christian have doing the saving practice of Hinduism? We don't. That is why Cyprian said, it is easy enough to be on one's guard when the danger is obvious. One can stir up one's courage for the fight when the enemy shows himself in his true colors. But there is more need to fear and beware of the enemy when he creeps up secretly. Those whom he has failed to keep in the blindness of their own pagan ways, he beguiles and leads them up a new road of illusion. Now here is where it can get a little bit tricky. There are some facilities that don't incorporate these religious aspects. It's basically stretching. So if you want to do certain things that stretch to help your lower back, go ahead and do that. But as soon as breathing, meditative practices become involved, then you are veering into the realm of a salvific practice of a pagan religion. Furthermore, if you're going into a studio that claims to be a yoga studio, even if they're not, let's say, doing it in its purest form, what would others think when they see the Christian who's been saved by Jesus come out of a facility that has a salvific practice that comes from Hinduism? Some big implications. Number one, God has always called for his people to be separate from the world and trends. Number two, God has decided how he wants to be worshipped and would not accept strange fire. Would he accept worship through a pagan practice some people call Christian yoga? And finally, 
Any salvific practice besides Jesus should be shunned and not mildly. A big question, should a Christian practice yoga? Short answer. Yoga is the salvific practice from a pagan religion. A Christian should abstain from this practice for a myriad of reasons. Oh, I am so surprised that you are still here. Apparently, you've got a lot of free time. If you would like to get more wretched and who wouldn't, simply like this video, subscribe to this channel, and we will give you wretched till it's coming out of your nose. Hey, yo, they said it was over, man. They said it was over. But it ain't over. We just getting started. Yo, 7,000, we all at. Let's go. Stand up, stand up. If you truly love the son of man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive. And his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, stand up. Does anybody love the son of man? Trust. Jesus is the king, so his people we will sing. And forever stay worthy is the land. What's up? Surprise, I'm back in your section With Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection More power than gravity His knowledge and strategies confound the academy Bow to his majesty He paid sin salary, took up blame on Calvary Those who love his name spread his fame is the policy All eyes on the matchless price of his sacrifice That's prize, I'm after Christ and rise in the afterlife What, did we forget about the holiness of God or something? Did we forget that God owes us a rod or something? See the snake bruise when Christ came to save dudes Who hate truth, the gospel is not fake news. I got to send the gospel sweeter than it's ever been. Ain't nothing changed. Let us in. We got the medicine. It's still human emergency. The serpent attack. You think Jesus can't save? That's alternative facts. Stand up. Stand up. If you truly love the son of man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive and his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up. Stand up. Does anybody love the son of man? Trust. Jesus is the king. So it's To my composition Lots of rhythm But not tradition No kind of different But God's consistent No contradiction My proposition Through crucifixion He mocked and crippled His opposition It's not some fiction I'm spitting The son of God is risen And my incentive For godly living Is I'm forgiven Jesus came to unlock the prison And through the spirit He brings a new birth Like an obstetrician At times I listen A lot of Christian hip-hop Is missing The proposition It's my suspicion We drop the mission Not to this But the word of God Is it not sufficient The doctrine is That the gospel fixes I shot Condition. God the Spirit supplies conviction through proper diction Against the backdrop of our tradition, the gospel glistens A squad of Christians go out and witness a God's commission Cause Jesus Christ got the top position, no competition Stand up, hands up If you truly love the Son of Man, trust Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive And his fame is gonna spread across the land What's up? Stand up, hands up Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing and forever stay worthy is the Lamb. What's up? They want Jesus in the background like elevator music, but we gon' celebrate him, relegate him, we refuse it. They hate Christian hip-hop, I peep myself. They say we too redundant, well let me repeat myself. What I gotta say almost feels too real estate. Sit back and feel the weight of what a real estate. Cause yo, Jesus Christ got me in the real estate. I'm purchased property, I feel like I'm real estate. If the Father wasn't gracious, no sin in him. Again, he came straight blameless, no sin in 
venom. I can. Nothing's been the same since. No synonym. I can. Fakers lack his fragrance. No synonym. This is not the picture in a frame to still Jesus. Nah, we serve the rock, the harder than still Jesus. So how are we gonna be silent? Let the world still Jesus. When the world and its trends pass away, it's still Jesus. Stand up, hand up. If you truly love the Son of Man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive and his fame is gonna spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, hand up. Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust. Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing and forever say worthy is the Lamb. What's up? Different type of people. 
We aren't like the pagans. They can swear like wounded pirates. That's between them and the God that they reject. But we are supposed to be holy and set apart, and giving up foul filth words shouldn't be a big sacrifice. Implication number three, if you're not willing to clean up your mouth, ask yourself the question, why? What is motivating your desire to talk like an unregenerate sinner? A big question these days. Can a Christian swear? Short answer. Swearing is worldly. It's unbecoming of an image bearer of the God who doesn't use potty language. Will you please like, subscribe, or share this video so other people can enjoy this professional Christian content? Once again, that's a question, short answer. Can a Christian swear? And it's from yesterday from their YouTube channel. This is spelled W R E T C H E D, Wretched. And thanks for listening to Control here on Tripitola Radio. And here's a song from Shadow, and this one is called Immutable. Writing this to you, I really hope you hear my heart When thinking about describing you, I really don't know where to start Can't start at the beginning, cause you are before the beginning Way before the beginning, and this fallen world's distorted opinions It was just the holy trinity, ruling from infinity Glory blazed tremendously, loving one another endlessly Billions and billions of years ago, outside of what we know as time Nobody else was there to know, but Lord, here's the thing that blows my mind As long ago as that was Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord. Oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. You never change, you remain the Immutable, beautiful. You never change, never change. Forever you reign, you remain the same. You will never change, you will never change. Immutable, beautiful. You never change, never change. I was thinking just the other day how you reign supreme by far. Not just because of what you do, but simply because of who you are. There's none like you in existence. You are God and you need no assistance. Even though we show you resistance, you sent Jesus to close the distance that existed between God and man. According to your sovereign plan, we changed many times in one lifespan. I've changed even since this song began. Lord, I'm so glad that you're not like us. All that you do will certainly last. You are the rock that we can trust. Shows us back in eternity past. As long ago as that was. As long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful, you never change, you remain the same. Immutable, beautiful.
and downs, all of my inconsistencies, all of my idiosyncrasies, still you pursue relentlessly, at times I wonder how this can be, surely it's because of the cross, where Jesus paid the full penalty, and bore the burden of sin's great cost, I'm saved by grace and faith in God, I look to Christ and I trust he died, so even though I'm being sanctified, I can't be any more justified, his work is finished that cannot change, and with this knowledge I am free, forever this grace it will remain, because of what happened on Calvary. As long ago as that was, as long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord. Oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. You never change. You truthbetoldradio.com that is t-r-u-t-h-b-e-t-o-l-d-r-a-d-i-o dot c-o-m truthbetoldradio.com do you have any questions suggestions comments or want to tell us anything send those emails to truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com remember by sending us your email you give us permission to read it on the air so write us at truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com. If you like to read blogs, we've got you covered. Check out ours at truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. That's truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. Also, follow us on Twitter as truth, the letter B, then told radio. That is T-R-U-T-H-B-T-O-L-D-R-A-D-I-O. Once again, that is truth. The letter B only, not B-E, told radio. This is due to the restraints for Twitter's username link. Finally, to learn the testimony of Melissa Canchoa, the hostess of Truth Be Told Radio, see smilesandstuff.com. That's S-M-I-L-E-S-A-N-D-S-T-U-F-F dot C-O-M. Smilesandstuff.com. So stay social with us and thanks for listening to Truth Be Told Radio. Oh uh-huh. 
Yeah, see your friends with the VR really and turn it from five for now. 